I think that's one of the big misconceptions is the Elon Musk, these billionaires, they're not using their money. They built an asset. Elon Musk doesn't have $50 billion. He's built a $50 billion company and he can access a lot of cash by tapping into the equity of it. So start thinking that way of, hey, if I build more assets, I'll have more access to cash. Welcome friends. We are your hosts, Sandy and Wade, baby best friends turned husband and wife and business partners. This podcast is for the dreamers, the movers and shakers, and those who seek to attract their dream life. Strap in, getting magnetic in three, two, one. Like attracts like. If you see it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. You just decide what it's going to be, who you're going to be, how you're going to do it. And then from that point, the universe is going to get out your way. This moment in time, this is your time to rise. All right. If you are a loyal Getting Magnetic listener, you have heard our guest today because this is the third time he's here with us. We're very excited to have our friend Greg O'Brien on the show. Welcome, Greg. Thank you for having me, guys. Excited to be back here and uh, hopefully uh, give some good knowledge to the audience. I yes. know you will. Okay, so before we dive in, we're going to do an A block because you guys know we love our A blocks. This is a new thing we're doing. Um, and we're going to gear the A block towards Greg. So Greg, I have a question for you. What is something important to you today that you believe will continue to be important to you for the rest of your life? Mm, good one. I think the most obvious thing that pops to mind is my family and my friends. They mean whole lot to me. So I'm very oriented around my family and my my good friends, including you guys. I spend a lot of time uh, and energy thinking, caring about my friends and family. So that will always be, you know, my rock, my my close family, my close friends. So as as Wade knows, I'm a uh, loyalty is a very, very big, uh, you know, personality trait. So that I don't think that'll ever change, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that about you. I got to I got a shout out Greg too. So Greg and I have known each other since college. We played football together. We lived together after college. I moved to California five years ago. He comes out every year to visit. We I gotta go to Boston more. I think I gotta go. Not this go. time of year, but yeah. not this time of year. Yeah, but you know, it's it's been so cool to see because like we've grown up together. You know, you're 18 when you get to college. We're 33 now, and so we've both grown so much, and we've grown together, and we've been a big part of each other's lives. Like Greg's my best friend, other than you, Sandy, of course, and Cam. Um, and so we. We've we've done it. We've experienced a lot of life together, and we've been growing businesses together. He has his own CPA firm. I'm super proud of him. I've seen him grow it, grow it from just going off on his own, starting a business to okay, what's the next thing I need to do? Starting from scratch, from ground up, and now I know like he employs over 20 people. Like he's building this business. It's a multi million dollar business. It's amazing. It's helping so many people. It's cutting edge. It's new age. And I've been there behind the scenes every step of the way. And a cool thing that Greg has always done is every year he'll just take friends on a vacation. Just like that's his giving back, right? Like we have a baby, right? We have Cam and we're like, oh, let's take Cam. Like his business right now is his baby. And he's like, gosh, I have so many friends that helped me get here that I appreciate them. And he'll just, he's ta- you've taken us and me and other friends and multiple people on business trip paid for by your business. And it was just a personal trip because Greg, Greg's loyal. He appreciates people and his relationships. And it's funny. He would always make fun of me. He goes, dude, you make way too many friends. You've way, he goes, I got my circle. Like I got my people and I want to protect them and provide for them and be loyal to them. And you took it's us so we're to different. Um, 
what was that two years ago to South Charles Charleston, Charleston. Yeah. And yeah. team retreat last yeah. October you took way to Costa Rica Costa, we went to Costa Rica we've been to Jackson Hole Wyoming Montana and every year you know Greg will invite me like I'm taking people out to wherever this year so it's really cool very giving yeah life's a lot I'm, I'm a big experienced person over physical products so yeah I love the experiences I you know those are times you memories you won't ever forget so that's that's obviously important uh value of mine as well also shout out you got 40 under 40 for cpas I did i did with a couple of years to spare so you so. got seven years to spare at a ripe young age of 33 i love it that's now it's been... like do you just keep pursuing it or do you just you yeah. check that box and move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> so good hey if it's good marketing you keep it going so if you guys want the backstory on greg make sure to go back and listen to episode 18 mm -hmm. and 224 because mm -hmm. he's been on twice before the first one was we we always say greg's in our financial SWAT team. I think, you know, it's one thing to the first episode of this month is like minding your money, diving into your personal finances, but you can't do it all alone either. You need a financial SWAT team. And we learned a lot from Greg in that one about taxes and they're usually our biggest expense and how we can be creative with taxes, why some people pay a lot, why some people pay nothing and everything in between. And then the, the next one is a finance Friday. It was, I think we went through the four benefits of real estate investing, especially mm -hmm. as it comes back to taxes like greg knows more about taxes than i think anyone like especially like he's like oh the new tax code came out i reviewed it there's all these new things like we can do in our business i'm like what you review that's like the last thing in the world i would personally Didn't do you literally get your master's in taxation master's in taxation yes that's he like knows a very lot. niche thing but you know it's cool it seems maybe like dull like the tax code but greg is very passionate maybe not about the actual code but like how I know you think about it as like a puzzle and like figuring it Blueprint out. to wealth. Yeah. And and I love that. That was one of the biggest paradigm shifts for me that Greg has taught me is like, wait, you just got to flip the tax code on its head. It's really like a blueprint. Like give me, give the audience just like the quick overview on that. So if you look at the most successful people in the world, they've generally mastered this and they look at the tax code as opportunity, not as rule-based. Of course, there are rules, but if you understand that the government put the rules in place as incentives, the, the U.S. government looks at the tax code as an incentive-based system because the government cannot produce the housing, the government cannot run businesses. Therefore, they incentivize entrepreneurs, real estate investors to do certain things. And in exchange for doing these certain things, they will give you, quote unquote, tax breaks. So if you read any of the rules, right, they're all focused around targeted areas the government is trying to make the country better at. So you follow that roadmap, we say, you'll be in good shape. Really easy example, 1980s and 90s and early 2000s, oil and gas was a huge tax break for people. The government wanted to incentivize onshore drilling. That has changed. Now we're going after green energy. So all of the incentives now are for green energy, solar, electric vehicles, efficient building. That's where we're going to make the money now, right? So the smart money is following those incentives. So that's just a kind of a little bit of insight how we think about things. Yeah, I remember like putting it in literally crayon. Greg was like, basically, Wade, own businesses that can employ people or that adds value to the marketplace or both and own real estate that can house people and more so investment real estate, right? That can house other people. And if you can do those two things. Yeah, and he's like, you, you will reduce your tax bill majorly or pay no taxes. And so it's like, whoa, okay, wealthy people just, we, we have the same set of rules. They just understand the rules and they just play the game versus most people just wake up, they go, they, they get paid they, in their job or whatever. They pay their bills. They don't even understand it. They pay their taxes, all the things. 
And so when I realized that, like now Sandy and I've worked over the last five years to build our assets, which is a business and which is investment real estate, which I know we're going to plan on on touching on like just the fundamentals of assets and liabilities and what they are and how to build wealth through them. But we've we've accumulated real estate and we've accumulated businesses. And I know last year I was like, okay, what do we owe in taxes? And and you have a great team at Go CPA. And we're like, uh, pretty pretty much nothing. We'll get we'll let you know the tax bill, but it was very close to zero percent, which is insane to me because I used to be a high earning finance W2 VP, and I would pay like 40% in taxes or 30, 35, 40. And now I'm paying closer to 0%. And it's not because I'm cheating taxes. Greg's biggest thing is like, let's not get audited. We're going to do everything clean, everything by the book, of course. But like, there's so many things we can do with what you guys have. So that's been a, a huge thing. I remember saying, he's like, what? We paid 0% and we just go through. The other big thing is that the, the tax code and the government will always incentivize those who take risks, right? So, you know, some people will say, oh, it's not fair that it works this way. But ultimately, the people taking the risks, starting the businesses, employing the people, they're at risk, right? Totally at risk financially, as are the people that are building the buildings, right? They're at risk as well from foreclosure. So, the government is going to incentivize those to take risks because again, they don't want to do it themselves because they can't uh, in this, in this capitalist society. So that's, those are things, right? So if you're going to take risks, you're going to get benefits. If you're going to start things and build things and buy things, you're going to get benefits. I so love it. Good. Okay. So thinking about starting this episode, do you feel like the best place to start is how we talked about before, like defining an asset? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I think even just getting down to fundamentals, like, what's an asset and liability how do to think about a personal balance sheet how especially if we want to be financially free and become wealthy like how do we start to think about our assets our liabilities our balance sheet because most people think about what do i make and what do i spend and all the things that's very important but wealthy people i know are focused on their assets so like how would you start like in crayon from a fundamental standpoint what are assets what are liabilities so, what should we focus on i think the most basic way to think about it is an asset is something that will that does or will produce future cash flow for you right so in other words an easy example there might be a misconception out there that people think that the car in their driveway is an asset right that is a liability that is an asset of a bank actually right the bank has an asset because they're you took a loan out to buy that right degrading in value and that's not 99% of the time, the car is not going to make you money, right? There's circumstances where people use their car for business, but for the most part, a car, personal vehicle is not an asset. Although people think it is, you just bought a liability, right? Mm -hmm. So versus now let's talk about- Wait, go back. So the asset that was so good is something that will can or will produce, produce a future- Cash flow. Cash flow. So in other words, you buy a car, right? Unless you're doing like Turo or something like that, that car is not going to produce any cash flow. It's going to- continue to erode your wealth, right? Now, I'm not saying buying a car is a bad thing. Everyone needs a car, but don't view it as an asset, right? It's yeah. not producing future cash flow for you. Quick side note there, on the in the 1%, 99% of vehicles will not be an asset. We heard someone in there talking the other day, and they're like, I think I might get one of those camping sprinter vans, and I'll pimp out the inside. Mm -hmm. And I live in Colorado. And so it's going to become like, I'm going to rent it out because there's a big demand market there for weekend trips, whatever. So if your monthly car payment is $1,000 and you rent it out and you make $1,400, it has just produced you cash flow that net 400. And it now has become an asset. Now it's still going to erode, you know, 
in its value, but it's producing monthly cash flow. I also have a friend who just bought an RV. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's kind of different. He's renting it out. And so that has become an yeah. asset. So, but most of the time when you're driving your your Toyota around, that is a liability. Correct. Yeah. So that's that's an easy example. I think I think another one, you know, just to show what we think a, a true asset is. Now let's talk about something like um, you know, rental real estate, right? So you buy a single family rental property, could could be for a hundred thousand or a million dollars, right? And you're putting 10, 15, 20% down. Even if that doesn't net you cash right away, it's going to it's it's appreciating value, right? You're you're having somebody else buy that for you. That's the big key, right? Mm-hmm. Versus your personal residence that you're buying down the mortgage. Someone else is living there. They're actually buying the house for you over time, right? You put cash into it. They're buying buying every month, right? They're paying your rent, paying your rent. You get cash flow, great, but it's going to appreciate in value. And it's going to give you dividends uh, over the long term, right? So that is an asset, right? Mm-hmm. Think about that as an asset. Same thing goes, you put money in the stock market. You buy a stock. A stock's an asset. That stock will pay, not going to pay you rent, but it's going to give you what they call dividends, right? So it's going to return dividends to you. Not every stock does, but a lot of them do. And they also appreciate, they should over the long term appreciate in value, right? So those are true assets, right? There, you bought something and it's going to make you money down the line versus the car, right? You buy it, it might look great, right? Maybe it maybe it attracts you some more friends or something, but it's not gonna produce any cash flow in the long term for you. Mm-hmm. Now, this one I know is controversial. It can go both ways. Yeah. yeah. He already knows where I'm going <laughs> with it. But some people are like, all right, a house a primary residence that you live in and pay the mortgage on is an asset. And others are like, no, it's not. I know there might not be a definitive answer, but how do you think about that? Uh, I'm going to give the wishwash answer. I think it does depend, right? I do think that there, so the what it's referring to is there's a famous in, investor out there who really, he really, really passionately believes that a personal residence is a liability too. Now I don't, I wouldn't go that far. I think that if you buy at the right time and you buy a really good residence and you hold it on for a long time, it's going to make you money, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think there's an asset play there. I know lots of people that bought at, you know, bottom of the market and they sold and they made a lot of money, right? So that's, maybe it's luck, maybe it's a skill or strategy, but I believe that is an asset in that case. It can end up being an asset. Now, if you live in some market where it's not great, things are going downhill, yeah, potentially you can be underwater. But I would say most times the primary residence, right? It's going to make you money over the long term. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to pay you in the short term, right? Mm-hmm. That's just something to be aware of. But I don't. I I do think over the long term, owning you know would be would be the play. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so unless you like rent out a room or you have an ADU or you, oh, that'd be definitely. Um, what's that one website where you can like rent out your house for like your space? Your space. space. Like if you do things like that, where it's actually like totally bringing in that cash bring flow. In monthly cash flow. There's yeah. the concept that we call house hacking where you know, people will buy a house with uh, maybe three units, like a triple decker, and they'll rent out one or rent one or two of them, right? And live in the other one. So again, other people are paying that mortgage off mm-hmm. for them, which is great. There's also, I'm personally not comfortable with doing it, but there are people that will literally rent out a room within their home mm-hmm. to a stranger. Or maybe they have a roommate or a friend, right? That pays them rent. Great, right? That's just, again, you got to think of it as someone else is paying that mortgage for you. Right? And That's side note on that, that house hacking, I think, especially in your 20s, you're younger, you're single, you're not as established. You're, like, I actually think it's a really smart move to buy a property, find a way you can do it. You might need a loan from your dad or your mom or your grandma. Or you you, you <laughs> figure it out. Maybe you have your own money. 
But in your young 20s, I think if you buy a house and you have roommates and you charge per room and hopefully it's your friends or someone you know, but maybe it's not, other people are paying down your mortgage. That house, real estate generally, will appreciate over you know a 10-year span pretty much for sure. And other people will be paying down your mortgage. And that is a huge part is when it becomes an investment, which you get to live in it. You're probably paying maybe some of the mortgage, but other people are helping you pay the mortgage. One of my goals, I mean, investment property is really other people are paying for the property. Mm -hmm. So one of my goals with, with Cam is to buy her a house. And I'm talking some like Greg and I both invested in uh, rental properties in Alabama and the the home value there might be like, let's say a hundred thousand just to keep it simple. And so, yes, you put 20% down. So you put 20,000 and a goal with cam is like, okay, what if I bought cam an Alabama property? And it, this is, I'm making it simpler. You have to understand, you have to do due diligence, et cetera, but a hundred thousand dollar property, I put 20,000 down. It was in my name, but it was in a trust or whatever that would go to cam. I put a 15 year mortgage on it and I had the renter like there's a renter in there, obviously they're paying the mortgage every month. They're paying it down. Cam's not even Cam's one 15 years from now, by the time she's, you know, 16, 17, 18, she will own a property outright. And I can be like, use this to go to college, buy a business, buy your own primary residence. Like, obviously <laughs> I'd probably make a decision with her somewhat, but it's kind of setting her up for one $20,000 payment up front and letting someone else pay off the mortgage let alone that house is going to be worth a lot more than $100,000 15 years from now because it's going to appreciate every year. Totally. Yeah, that's always a great strategy. And the other one I see frequently is the when the kid's actually going to college, a parent will buy them a house in the town of the college. Same thing. They'll own the house. Kids will get rent from their roommates and whatnot. So again, yeah. you know, better than paying the room and board. So those are good examples of assets, right? And then, you know, obviously cash is always going to be an asset, but my warning on cash, right, is that holding too much cash right now in an inflationary environment is actually losing you money. So think of this way, if you put uh, $10,000 in your checking account and inflation's at 7%, that is eroding each and every day, each and every month, right? It's actually not, if you put 10,000 in January, you wait till May, that 10,000 is actually not worth 10,000 anymore. It's still going to say 10,000 in your bank account, but it's not worth the same. So kind of a confusing topic. So some alternatives to that, where again, I'm just, this is what a lot of wealthy people do. They put their money in treasury bills, right? T-bills, I-bonds, those are different government-backed securities that will produce a cash flow for you, right? So if you invest in uh, treasuries or I-bonds right now, you'll make about six and a half, seven percent 7%. You gotta, there's rules, you got to hold it for, but for a certain period of time, but they're very, very liquid. So entrepreneurs with a lot of money, they will take their cash and they'll figure out what they need for operations and they'll put the rest of it into treasury bills. They're not going to get rich off of it, but they're going to hedge inflation, right? So they're not going to lose money, right? At the very least, they're going to keep up with the pace of inflation. If they need cash on Tuesday, they sell them, right? Not a big deal. So again, that's a great asset that every single human being can access, right? You can buy $100 of T-bills, you can buy the maximum of 10000 So it's, again, that's something most people don't think about. They say, oh, I made a lot of money putting my checking account or my savings account, which earns 1.89%. It's losing you money. So think of these alternative places to store cash because cash is not going to make you a future cash flow. So mm -hmm. keep that same mindset. Of course you need cash, but don't overexpose yourself with too much cash. Yeah. And so there's a difference, but 
in assets too. There's liquid assets, there's illiquid or less liquid assets. So let's say we have an investment property in Alabama. That is an asset. However, I couldn't just go turn it into cash tomorrow. It would take a while to sell that, to unwind it, whatever. Cash is directly liquid. I can go spend it. A stock, say I have Apple stock. Well, let me stop you on the, the property, right? So the, the property may not look like it's liquid, but it, it, it actually is. So the more, what I say to people is the more assets you accumulate, the easier you can access cash when you want to. For example, you have a four property portfolio, you have a business, you have some other asset. You can go to almost any financial institution out there and say, hey, I want to loan against this portfolio or I want to withdraw the cash from this property. So you buy that property for 100,000, five, seven years, it's worth 200,000. You can extract that equity out just like a personal home, you know, home equity line of credit. You can do the same thing on commercial property. The other thing we see is people go to the bank and they'll say, hey, I have these four properties and I own this business give me a line of credit, right? Underwrite me, give me a line of credit. Why would you want a line of credit? Isn't that debt? We'll talk about that in a minute. It is debt, but it's good debt. That line of credit will then say, okay, the value of this X, we will give you a line for 50%. You can then go say, oh, wow, look at this property. I want to go buy this new property. You don't have to worry about having enough cash. You can hold the line. The bank will give you the money, buy the property, pay it back, right? So again, that's just a little bit more, it's not very complicated. But it's more sophisticated than most people will think about, but why can some people do that and some people can't? The people that can do it have assets, right? They have, it's not cars in their driveway. They have property, they have stocks. Stocks, you can do the same exact thing, right? Again, very, very wealthy clients will go, they'll have maybe a couple million dollars in their Schwab brokerage account or TD Bank, whatever it is. Those actual institutions will give them what's called a security-backed line of credit, like 2%, maybe 3% now, but super low interest. They'll say, hey, you get $3 million in the stock market, we'll give you a million in cash whenever you want. And you're going to pay a little interest on it, but the people will take that money out, go buy more, right? Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So they're not using their own money to do all this, right? I think that's one of the big misconceptions is the Elon Musk, these billionaires, they're not using their money. They built an asset. Elon Musk doesn't have $50 billion. He's built a $50 billion company and he can access a lot of cash by tapping into the equity of it. So start thinking that way of, Hey, if I build more assets, I love more access to cash. Yes. And so I love this and where it's going because it's kind of last week in this series, we, we kind of talked about the basics and fundamentally and diving into our personal finances. And most people think about, okay, I need to make more and I need to spend less. And, and that they just think about what goes in and what goes out, which is important and is fundamental. And what you realize to take it to the next level, almost everyone wants to be financially free in this lifetime. And in order to do that, what you realize when you study, Greg and I have made a habit and just life of studying successful people and studying wealth and what are they doing? And what you realize is the, the wealthy people, they accumulate assets. They go buy assets. They, they make more than they spend typically, and they use that difference to go buy assets. And then like Greg said, when you really understand that world, like instead of buying an investment property with 100% cash that's using all your own money, you might put 20% down and you borrow 80% from the bank. You're using other people's money because where's the bank money coming from? All of our checking accounts. The bank takes our checking accounts. They can lend it out nine times. It's another deeper rabbit hole, but they go lend to it. So you're using other people's money. And of course, it's good for you to have skin in the game, but generally like, and I think we'll move to the liabilities and then we'll move into okay, what are wealthy people doing that you're seeing What in these different 
things and strategies, but wealthy people use their earned income to go buy assets. And then when you can go buy assets, if you think about this as a basic example, if you can, most people, their assets, you know, they think they have their primary residence. It can be, but it doesn't produce some cash. Um, maybe you have an invest, uh, a retirement account or something that is an asset and does produce, you know, appreciation or cash flow. And most people don't have anything beyond that. And liabilities will, will get there. But if you can start to use your earned income to buy assets, and let's say you accumulate a million dollars, let's just say in stocks. And on average, the stock market returns, let's say 7% a year. Your million dollars is now working for you. And on average, returns you $70,000 a year. So your money's making money. You aren't working for that. You aren't earning it. You already did the work for it. You put it there. Now you can earn more than that or less than that, of course, in different asset classes and different things. But I, you know, when I think about the goal of like, okay, what if I had 5 million in assets that was returning me 10%, that's half a million dollars a year. My money is just making for me. That starts to become financial freedom when your assets and the cash flow from it can pay for your lifestyle. That's financial freedom where you don't have to go out and work that year to go earn 500. Now you can, and the more earned income you make, great, the better. Keep stacking assets. But big thing I've learned from Greg and just wealthy people is wealthy people use their money and their earned income to buy assets. And then they also use other people's money to go buy more assets. And then they have other people like if it's investing in real estate, paying off those assets. So Greg, let's shift into liability. What are most people's liabilities? Like what, what are liabilities? What is it? You know, credit card debt, is there good debt and bad debt? Like kind of that mm -hmm. stuff we are talking about. Totally. So I think, you know, that's exactly right. There is good debt and bad debt. I think some people have the mindset of like all debt's bad. That's a philosophical thing. Um, it, you know, there's the, there's the Dave Ramsey brigade out there. Not, not a huge fan of him, but there's, you know, some basic principles he's probably correct on, but for the most part, he's so anti-debt, right? I don't believe that's, necessarily the way to get ahead. I think that some people can do that, but Dave Ramsey himself has a lot of debt because he owns a lot of real estate, right? They don't, he doesn't tell you that. But anyways, so the debt that's good is going to be something like a real estate loan, right? Why? Because that debt's buying you an asset. That's good. You take out debt to buy a business. That's good debt. Why? It's building a future cash flow for you. What is bad debt? Again, maybe auto loans, even though they're not the highest interest rates, but auto loans, credit card debt, right? The personal consumer debt is really what eats away people's wealth in America. It's high interest and it's compounding and it keeps eating and eating and people never catch up, right? Versus real estate debt. I know interest rates are up right now, but they're not 18%, right? They're 5% right now. So think of the, the arbitrage just there alone. Other good debt, lines of credit with your assets, with your bank, right? So what I mean by that is Anyone that owns a business out there, you know, if you have a little bit of traction, right? You, you know, you maybe can't do this in your infancy, but you have a little bit of traction. You can go to a bank. I usually recommend going to local banks. Smaller banks are better for relationships. And you ask, you say, hey, I, I want a line of credit on my business. What does that mean? It just means that they'll underwrite you and they'll say, hey, Wade, we're going to give you a $100,000 line of credit. doesn't mean he gets $100,000. It means at any time he can quote unquote, pull on it. So he can say, hey, bank. Give me $27,000. I want to go buy some inventory. Boom, buys the inventory, sells, pays it back, right? It's quick liquidity. So we always like our clients to have access to lines of credit because they can pull on the debt lever very quickly to expand their business and then pay it back. So that is, a, an, a, again, I think it's a, very, it's a strategic opportunity, right? The biggest businesses in the world don't just fund off of cash flow and cash. They fund off of debt. So debt, 
is way cheaper to grow your business than equity ever will be. So remember, debt can be a tool for you in that case. Um, and it's good when you attach it, like when you buy an asset with debt, generally, if it's an asset and it's a cash flow producing asset, like inventory, if you sell the inventory produce cash or an investment property or whatever it ends up being is good debt. If you're buying things, luxury items, credit card debt, whatever to keep up with your lifestyle and you don't pay that back, like that is bad debt. Correct. That That's exactly right. And I think the other really, really good debt that's a bit more sophisticated is kind of what I alluded to before is then, you know, any asset that you own is being able to tap into the equity of it, right? So you, uh, you can say, Hey, I want to own my real estate investment, you know, free and clear. Well, but I would say, you know, if you had the opportunity to buy something fully in cash, cool, that's great. But then go put debt on it, right? Why? Because you want to use leverage to your advantage. Why tie all of your cash up when the bank is going to fund it? Someone else is going to pay for it, right? So when someone says, hey, I'm buying the property in cash, I'll really question them. There's sometimes there's reason they do it, but I'll question them why when you can have a bank pay down, pay for the entire building. And then a tenant pay the bank the bank back, right? Essentially what's happening, right? The bank owns the building, the tenant's paying them back, not you. So using strategic debt like that is great. That is how the, the, the largest entrepreneurs I know have gotten ahead. They're not buying businesses in cash, but not doing everything cash. They're using strategic debt. In fact, they're actually putting more debt onto their businesses to expand, right? So that's just, again, a mindset shift to think about right and i i think why it, it'll make sense more intuitively again that that bank that you're taking out on that property it's actually producing an asset for you that somebody else is going to be paying that bank back you're not paying them back you're paying that credit card loan back but you're not paying that bank loan back it might come out of your bank account but someone else is funding it right so yeah. that that's kind of our concept of debt that there's good debt and bad debt you're gonna have a little you're gonna have some bad debt in your life for sure everyone does but managing it right and balancing it is really important. I love it. Okay, we'll wrap it up a bit here, but I have a few like fire round questions, like expand on it, give enough, but you know, the, yeah. the higher level. So first, you you kind of already mentioned it, but what are you seeing? Like you work with, you have wealthy clients. Greg's a CPA, we mentioned that. And um, what are you seeing like wealthy people doing? You, you've kind of said a bunch of them but like put it together like what are they doing what does their balance sheet look like what like totally so i think the most successful people we've ever worked with and this not only currently but way back in the day when i worked at um, a larger firm had some very 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 wealthy uh clients and what i the common trend of all of them is that they had some type of engine right they had a cash flow engine that gave them a ton of free cash flow and then they took that free cash flow and did one of two things one they bought, they expanded or bought more businesses or two, they bought or expanded their real estate portfolio. 99% of the extremely wealthy clients I've worked with own real estate. Um, people tend to get into that. There's a whole, you know, rabbit hole of tax benefits there, but that's what people go towards or they go and they become these more serial entrepreneurs that are buying more businesses. Now, one misconception is you're, it's not always they have this really great startup that they start and they're making all the money. I have seen people make a ton of money actually working in the W-2 world. They might have equity, right? Stock options, RSUs in their company, and they get financial freedom from that, right? They do, they work in, inside of a company and they make a ton of money and then they take that money and that that is their kind of kickoff point to go do the next thing, right? Whether it's an investment portfolio or, or another business. So 
it's always the cash flow engine followed by that secondary movement uh, after it, after that. Okay, cool. All right, I'm going to ask one more and then I think Sandy might have some too. But as far as like you really helped me understand tax is usually one of the biggest expense line items. I don't know if expense is the right word for it, but sure. one of the biggest cash outflows or something like when we earn money more than marketing, more than a bunch of things is, is our taxes. Walk me through like, yeah, you kind of did, but how to think about taxes, how to think about reducing taxes. I know there's a lot of different people, W2s, business owners, but like what you kind of the high level on tax. So I, I think the biggest thing to understand is that there, there's a misconception out there, right? That, hey, that the the very wealthy are not paying, they're not paying their fair share. They are, right? They they We have to think about indirect taxes, right? So the person that owns that multi-million dollar business or billion dollar business, they have a lot of risk and that risk is paying tax them, right? So they have a lot of employees that pay taxes. They pay payroll taxes, which is about seven and a half percent of someone's wages. They pay property taxes, sales tax, right? So there's tons of taxes in this world. So people are all contributing. And I think that people need to understand that most of the stuff that's available to the tippity tippity top, it's available to everybody, right? The it, But the issue becomes access to opportunity, right? So people need to get the opportunities in front of them for the real estate or for the business, right? That is the hurdle. But once you get over that hurdle, it's open. So I think no matter what position you're in, you're working at a regular W-2 job, you have a just starting a business, you're operating a business, whatever it is, there are opportunities, right? I've never seen someone that has zero opportunities. There's very there's small things everyone can do. Maybe it saves you $250. Awesome. $250 if it's better in your pocket, right? Than Uncle Sam's pocket this year. So there is opportunity for everyone. So think about as an opportunistic thing. Don't think about it as just filling out forms rule-based, right? Um, and there's so many levels to it, but that would be my basic, right? Just try to change the mindset around it and, and know that there is opportunity. So good. Okay, speaking of mindset, Greg, what are the best resources to improve one's financial literacy? Books, podcasts, yeah, anything totally. you've done in your life. Yeah, I think that I'm I'm a big self-education person, so... When I want to learn more about a topic, I tend to get very involved in in the research of it. So I'm a big podcast person. You're what we call a sea urchin, Greg. Yeah. A sea urchin. Okay. Yeah. We'll yeah. Talk more about that after. Lots of lots of podcasts. Research. research. If I want to understand something, I'm gonna listen, listen, listen. I'm the one, and Wade knows me. I am the one that will first put up the skeptical. No way, that can't work. Nope, nope, yeah. nope. But I need to get comfortable with something, right? So I'll I'll do a lot of self research on things. Um, so podcasts, uh, I'll good books you've read on just improving your money mindset or understanding anything or business. Uh, a lot of the business books I read are pretty niche that people yeah, aren't going to want to know. Like, I, I mean, uh, anyone owns rich it, dad, anyone that, dad, yeah, rich dad, poor dad, that's obviously a mindset changer for me. Yeah. And as along with other people, I've heard someone refer to that as the purple pill because it's like a purple book <laughs> and like, it, it's like, you know, red, blue, red pill, blue pill, oh, thing, purple pill. Um, but there, if anyone that owns a business, no matter how big it is, there's a book called Traction out there. Uh, Gino Wickman, that's a very, very good book. Um, the E-Myth, mm. um, like Michael Gerber, I think his name is, that's really good too. The E-Myth, just for high level. I think anyone that's kind of working in the business by themselves will feel this way, that you set out to be this like entrepreneur. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be traveling the world. It's going to be great. Everything's cool. And then like you were like, wow, I'm, hats. I'm, yeah, yeah, you're wearing so many hats and you're on a hamster wheel, right? <laughs> and so the e-myth was, was really big in my early days. I realized how to delegate, outsource, hire, and all that kind of stuff. So I love all that kind of stuff. My issue is that I'm a, I'll make a quick start with that. Like I'll, I'll read the new book and then be like, I got to implement this tomorrow. But 
I'm not like driving a speedboat anymore. It's a little bit more of a shift to turn. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm I'm aware of that stuff. But uh, I just think self education, right? Yeah, if you want to learn well. something, the like the, the education is out there. I know people that we've had clients come into us that are like very sophisticated with their tax knowledge. I'm like, where'd you learn all this? They're like rabbit hole. I'm like, really good. So it's out there, right? So I just encourage everyone to whatever that you're interested in, go find it. I love it. Okay. Why is having a good CPA important and who do you work with? Yeah. So I think having a good CPA is very important because ultimately it's going to lead to what we say ROI, return on investment. So mostly the good things in life cost money. So you're going to probably invest in a relationship that hopefully gains you dividends and an ROI. Maybe it's short term, maybe it's long term, um, but you want to work with someone that's going to make you money, right? So I work personally, right, with other financial coaches and people in my life because I, I think that they're going to need to return on investment. That's how I always encourage our clients to, in our prospects to view things. And I would encourage anyone to approach a CPA relationship is, okay, what like what are we going to do that's forward thinking that is going to help me grow, keep more of my money or earn more money, right? Those are the kind of the boxes uh, I would check if I was interviewing somebody and just understand that, right? That, yeah, there is a compliance part of the of the the business, but a lot of it should be more idea generation, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, and figuring out how you can change things around to start saving more or make more. That's one thing I've learned from Greg and his team because we've worked with him for a few years now, and I've learned so much from Greg just being around him and talking to him and talking to him daily and all the stuff that he's learned because he they literally talk every he bestows his wisdom when he learns something he'll teach it to me and we've we talked about this in the last episode when you teach something you really ingrains in you even more. And so then I'll go research it and learn it. And we've, we've learned a lot of stuff together. But one big takeaway is like, you can be reactive about your finances and your taxes and be like, oh, I got to, I got to file, I got to submit the paperwork on TurboTax, or you can be proactive. And the biggest thing like Greg's team at, at GoCPA is like disrupting the industry in the sense of like, they're so forward thinking and proactive. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do your taxes and save you money historically. But how do we set you up to be so efficient and like a machine and have all this tax planning? Because we look at your life holistically and be like, oh my gosh, you can be doing this, this, and this, and let's set this in place. So go forward, you're going to save so much in taxes. So yeah, of course, there's a cost to a service, but the goal of any service, and especially a good CPA is you have an ROI return. It's not a fee as much as an investment in your relationship with your CPA. And they're going to return multiples on that with how much you save in taxes today and historically, but go forward too. That's so what I think of it with? is, is yeah, an yeah. investment, not an expense. Like yeah. I've heard, yes. we have sent dozens and dozens of people yes. to Greg's team because we just like seen what you've done for us. You've helped us. And I've seen people that have been like, oh, it's like too pricey for me. And so they'll do like a turbo tax thing. And then I'm like, you just spent $80,000 on taxes. Yeah, yeah. Like you didn't, you could have spent a little bit more up front to work with Greg's team and you wouldn't have spent. Just because you don't know the tax code. Greg yeah. is like nerded out on reviewing the tax code and his team. And you know, you have this whole SWAT team working for you that knows mm -hmm. that stuff versus like, you're probably missing out on a lot of things that you could be doing. Yeah. A lot of, we're actually very education-based, meaning we, we are trying to like once per week release ideas. And it's not always like, hey, this is a tax deduction idea. No, it's more about smart, efficient investing for tax purposes, different things we're seeing people do, right? I learned something every single day from a client. We work at so many industries. We work with clients in other countries and I'm learning things they're doing. And I'm like, this is brilliant. How did I not think of this before, right? So I'm very much a person that's very, um, I'm a sponge. So I always think, 
I'm open to new ideas, right? I want to learn something. Um, and I like seeing both sides of it. So we, we always tell our new clients that, hey, we're not here to preach and tell you this is how you have to do it. We actually want to understand their mindset first. So one of our intake processes, we want to, in, we want to understand someone's money mindset. So we ask them thoughts on the economy, thoughts on inflation, thoughts on tax rates. And the answers we get are interesting, right? Because they're all over the board. But there's not a right or wrong answer. Our goal is to meet you where you are mm. on that mindset and work with you. Because I'm not one to tell you, hey, tax rates are going up or down. I have no clue either, right? You can read the political wins, but nobody knows where tax rates are going to be in 2070. But I want to ask people that. I want to plan with them you know, on that on that front. So that's kind of how we work. And as far as who we work with, so you know, we work with two primary groups. The first one is uh, what we call digital business owners, right? So we're very new age and we work best with people that operate in the quote unquote cloud. They operate um, online businesses, right? So less brick and mortar uh, inventory based, but more online uh, business based. And then the second one as we've alluded to a lot are real estate investors. Um, and our, the biggest thing with us is, you know, where people say, well, what's our, what's the minimum revenue and all that kind of stuff. We're not as much about that as, as we're about the mindset, right. Of somebody, right. So maybe if someone come in, they're a young country, a hungry entrepreneur, and they're just starting their business. We can find a way to work with them sometimes because we want to add value and we want to work with someone for seven years, not seven months. Right. So we want to bring them to their exit. So that, that's, it's a lot about mindset with us, right? Yeah. General rule of thumb might be like a six figure plus seven figure, eight figure, whatever entrepreneur, but you also work with some of these more startups and you get creative. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, and then I think, you know, people evolve, right? So a lot of the clients we've had since day one, back in 2018, were, were little. Now they own like two businesses, real estate, they mm -hmm. sold the business, right? So things, things do change quickly. Yeah. Well, appreciate you, brother. Thanks we're for your favorite on. clients, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, Wait, one more question for you. Are you single, Greg? That is a question to answer another time. <laughs> I love it. He's a mysterious man, man of few words. Um, well, thank you for coming on. I think to wrap up the C block, I want to reiterate something that Greg said and, and that we learned from him and is let's stop thinking about taxes as this penalty, as this whatever, but really flicks, flip the tax code on its head and look at it as this is a blueprint to wealth. This is a list of incentives. And if I learn and understand this, and I don't have to read the tax code. I can get connected to people like Greg, listen to podcasts, read the books, all the things that he said he did. If I understand that game, if wealth and making millions or whatever is a goal of mine, it's really just understanding that game. And okay, wow. Generally speaking, own businesses, buy real estate, take risks, get rewarded. Okay. So then evaluate, like, am, if that's a goal of mine, am I doing that in my life? Like, where am I starting businesses that can help other people, employ other people, help other people feed their families? And where can I own real estate, help other people put a roof over their head? Like, where can I do those things to add more value to the economy? Because the more valuable I am, one, the more I'll make, but two, the less you'll pay in taxes, which I think is huge. Versus when I was VP in finance, I might have been valuable to my company, um, but I was also extracting a lot of value. They paid me a lot. And so I got, I paid a lot in taxes because I had the security, I had the benefits, I had all the things, I had the security of that job. And you I wasn't taking risks. the risk at you all. You didn't own real estate and you yes. were not owning. Like, and now I take all the risk. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, it's, it's a beautiful thing, entrepreneurship, but it's not a linear process. But thank you, Greg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank How you. How can people find you? Yeah. yeah. Best way to find us is gotaxplanning.com, gotaxplanning.com. Contact us there, get in touch with us there or social media at 
uh, go underscore CPAs. That's the best way to, to find us. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for your time, brother. Till next guys. time. Only those that can see the invisible can do the impossible. So remember, you are magnetic. Magnetic.